Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the 25-8 Sportscast, episode 81 coming at you today. I'm your host, Tommy Fink, and alongside me today, as always, is the talented, the dashing, the ratherly handsome Jet Rosenstein. Jet, how you doing today? I'm doing good. Uh, 81 episodes in, that intro never gets old. And I'm always excited to be here for another great ride. We, we never know where this great podcast is going to go. There's so many directions it could go, but then there's so many other directions that it ends up going based on, you know, different tangents we go on, so on and so forth. But another great episode, a lot of stuff to get into, and I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited as well. Jet's obviously going to hit us with his patent pending stat of the day. We're going to get into some more MLB, good, bad, and ugly. Then I'm going to test Jet's ball knowledge a bit. You know, he likes to ask me questions during stat of the day. And, you know, it's easy to act like a know-it-all when you got the power of Google every single episode in and out. But this time we're going to see what Jet knows. Then we're going to talk about some NBA playoff updates. What's going on with Draymond Green? Is this guy – is that assault or is that just a personal foul, Jet? I'd like to know. Um, we're going to get into a bunch of things, injuries. A lot of stuff happening so far through either one or two games, depending on what teams you're looking at. And uh, we're going to get into some other sports news, word of the day, and then we'll get out of here. But Jet, go ahead and start us off with stat of the day. Yeah, so we're going to talk about one of the award recipients that was announced recently. I don't know if you're familiar with the new award that the NBA released, NBA Clutch Player of the Year, and that was given to Darren Fox of the Sacramento Kings, who's already looked great in his first couple of games in the playoffs for the Kings, two wins as well for the, for his team. But I kind of want to dive into why Darren Fox is considered the clutch player of the year. A little bit of background, how the system worked uh, to determine who the clutch player of the year. So it's based off of clutch points. Darren Fox got 194 clutch points, 91 um, of the possible 101st place votes, 460 of a possible 500 points. Uh, Jimmy Butler got one first place vote. DeMar DeRozan didn't get any. And then Jalen Brunson was in fourth. So they ordered De'Aaron Fox, Butler, DeMar DeRozan, Jalen Brunson were your top four. Uh, but for De'Aaron Fox, he scored 194 clutch points in 39 games. And clutch time basically is defined as the last five minutes of the fourth quarter overtime when the score is within five points. He actually shot better from the field in those moments, 53% in those clutch moments as as opposed to 51%. Overall, diving in a little bit further, I kind of wanted to narrow down uh, guys around the league that took these types of shots. So I actually shrunk the window. I shrunk this to the last... 30 seconds of NBA games. I think, you know, those are those are moments in these games where the ball is in the best player's hand. And De'Aaron Fox, it confirms, it checks out that he was one of those guys that was given the ball with the game on the line. And he performed pretty well. So De'Aaron Fox was one of five players who shot 25 field goals or more within 30 seconds or less in a fourth quarter or overtime. Um, the other guys that had that many attempts, Donovan Mitchell, Terry Rozier, Julius Randle, and Luka Doncic. But De'Aaron Fox led the way with that group. 40 field goal attempts, made 18 of those for a 450 uh, field goal percentage. He also attempted 15 three-pointers in this same time frame, made four of them. Not a great percentage, but considering the circumstances and the pressure that comes with that moment, uh, shot the ball pretty well, 4-15. So, yeah, basically the purpose of kind of narrowing this down a little bit further was to confirm the fact that Darren, Darren Fox was deserving of this award. All the stats show that of all the players in the NBA, there's only five that were given the ball this amount of times. But overall, Darren Fox led the way, and he's looking like he's continuing that clutch factor in the playoffs. Yeah, definitely well-deserved award for him. I got out of this one with no no trivia jet, so that's always a win for me. I thought uh, about real- I thought about asking you who who else is in the top five, but you probably wouldn't have gotten it. So I, I don't want to keep putting you on the spot like that. So. No, I would have gotten it just like I got all the other ones, but it's all right. Uh, a couple of interesting things about Deer and Fox. One, all it would take is to turn the clock back to the 2022 NBA trade deadline 
to remember that this guy was a potential name for the 76ers to grab when getting rid of Ben Simmons. I mean, that would have been absolutely unbelievable to do on the Sixers part. And that would have continued a cycle for the Sacramento Kings that has been going on for a long time now of being irrelevant. Um, You know, as good as James Harden has been for us at the Sixers, De'Aaron Fox would have been just that much better to get with the youth. And then obviously with this clutch factor that he has, And then one last thing I did want to bring up with De'Aaron Fox. Some people are starting to kind of argue now, who's the better player, De'Aaron Fox or John Morant? I know John Morant has so many fans just because of how exciting of a player he is. Some of those fans he may have lost or ticked off a bit, though, over the the, the, uh, course of the season. So would you consider De'Aaron Fox a better player to start your squad with than John Morant? And this was a question that was a no-brainer in John Morant's favor. Truthfully, what? Six, eight months ago? Yeah. Um, I mean, I believe Darren Fox definitely has more of a case than he did prior to this year, obviously with him earning his first all-star um, appearance for a team with the Kings that had their best year in quite some time. Obviously, he was front and center of that. But even with all the off-the-court stuff that has happened with John Moran, I still would take him uh, with the talent that he possesses, I think. And let me know if you agree. If you take... And I know this is kind of hard because John Moran was away from the Grizzlies and the Grizzlies still managed to play pretty well without him. But I think in a vacuum, if you looked at like an 82-game sample size as opposed to 15 games or whatever amount he missed, I think taking John Moran away from the Grizzlies would have a bigger impact than taking De'Aaron Fox away from the Sacramento Kings just because the Kings do have other guys on that team. DeMontis Sabonis is capable of being that number one option. Sure, you can make a case for other guys on the Grizzlies, Jaron Jackson, if he, if he steps up. But I think that John Moran is a little bit more valuable to the Grizzlies than De'Aaron Fox to the Kings. Yeah, and truthfully, when I look at those two teams, I think very comparable. I think it would be a great series to see yeah. those two go at it. Um, because it, it, it's really like you look around, there's, there's talent all over the floor with Jaron Jackson, John Morant, Desmond Bain, even Dylan Brooks, who's caught a lot of flack lately. He definitely – brings a lot of value to the table and then on the king's side you talked about sabonis and De'Aaron fox but you can't forget about you know kevin herter and a number of other guys over there so hopefully hopefully maybe that's a series we do see uh but you know we will see why that won't happen when we talk about why jets had some terrible predictions all right so jet why don't you go ahead and get us started with some mlb good bad and ugly this will be our token mlb talk for the episode Yeah, I'm going to leave everyone in shock here, but I'm actually going to reverse this segment around. We're going to do a little bit of ugly, bad, and good in this one. I'm shocked. Um, You know, I kind of want to leave everyone on a high note, and and this good story that I have is is very close to home, um, right in my backyard when I am in my residence of South Florida. But let's start off with the ugly. It has to do with the Oakland Athletics and their ballpark, obviously, a lot is talked about in terms of whether the Oakland Athletics are going to stay in Oakland and build a new stadium or they're going to move to Las Vegas, but clearly their current stadium is not the answer. Um, one reason being there has been a possum living in the walls of the visiting team's broadcast booth. This has been going on since 2022 where there has been notice of this, but apparently the Athletics have not done anything and visiting teams broadcast booth was always filled up until this point no issues obviously knowing that the possum is in there but it wasn't a major issue till several days ago when the Mets broadcast team apparently saw droppings um from this possum among certain <laughs> certain other smells and and so on and so forth so they had to relocate to another uh, area to broadcast this game but it kind of sums up you know not just the athletic stadium but their team in general kind of where they are at as a franchise right now my my whole thing is i think that possum was uh, purposely put in there by by someone to kind of make more of a case to get rid of this stadium um but yeah what, what do you what do you think about this whole issue yeah, I mean, it sounds like, you know, of course we get Gary Cohen and Keith Hernandez, Ron Darling being the ones to complain about this. Uh, that's my initial take. My second take is, you know, with Oakland having a very consistently longer off season than any team that makes the playoffs, why is this not getting taken care of in the offseason? Put a quick hole in the wall 
get the thing out of there and patch the shit up. It'll cost you. I mean, it it might cost you half your payroll, actually, now that I think about it. But (laughs) that's what I'm saying. Like, for them not to have gotten rid of it at this point. No, it's, it's kind of telling. Insane. It's kind of telling that they no, there's there's other reasons. no structure over there. No structure over there. All right, let's work our way up the the ugly bad good scale. Move up to bad now, and it's kind of in not great time to talk about it because actually some good happened today with with Juan Soto of the San Diego Padres. He has struggled in his time in a San Diego Padres uniform so far in 71 games between last year and this year. Has a slash line of 220, 382, 384. Nowhere near what his career numbers are. He's 283, 422, 522 guy. So way below that mark. Uh, 19 games this year. This was obviously before Wednesday's games. Batting 175, 366, 365 slash line. Three home runs, eight RBIs. Actually hit a home run today. So now that totals at four home runs at nine RBIs. But even with the home run today, Juan Soto has not fit in well with the San Diego Padres and has not lived up to the hype. And for a guy that is looking for a huge contact contract extension, <laughs> he has not lived up to that hype yet. And the only thing positive I will point out about this is I'm a big baseball savant guy. And when I look at his kind of portfolio per se it's all red and all red means good it's all in the higher percentiles you look at hard hit percentage 91 percentile uh, max exit velocity 89th percentile so on and so forth it's all good so i think there's better days to come for juan soda but at this point in time he's bad and he deserving of the bad spot in my ugly bad good skill yeah i mean another thing about juan soto is like he was struggling last year before he went over to San Diego. I mean, it wasn't like this, yeah, but he also true. wasn't Juan Soto. He was sitting like 270 yeah. in Washington in the beginning of that year. And even the year before where he was like third in MVP voting behind Harper and who else was it? It was Tatis, right? Yeah. Even that year, he was hitting like 250 at the All-Star break. And then he just absolutely went berserk in the second half. So I don't I don't know what to make of Juan Soto, truthfully. I don't I don't know what to expect from him almost ever at this point in his career. And the other interesting thing is there was a story that was published today that him declining that big contract that the Nationals gave him and then him deciding to play with the San Diego Padres, obviously not not totally his decision, but that move for him was very difficult and there were a ton of growing pains and it looks like he still hasn't gotten used to playing in a new environment. I think though, as time goes on, he's going to have to prove that it's worth that big extension that he wants and he's going to have to play well and get back to where he was. So I, I think he'll be just fine. It's just, just a matter of time. Yeah. He might miss the rainy days. <laughs> San Diego is a little too nice of weather for him. True. True. All right, the good. Let's leave everyone off on a, a good note here. Yeah, I'm glad. It's nice. It's nice of you to do, even the though Miami it's Marlins. The, the, the Miami Marlins have been playing extremely well this year. I think exceeding you know most people's expectations to start this year. Ten and nine record as we are recording this episode. About a 90, 90 or so win pace. Obviously, no one really expects them to get to that mark. But the thing I want to point about about this Marlins team is their play so far this year in one-run games. Let me first take you back to last year where they were historically bad in one-run games, 24 and 40, third worst in MLB, and I'm sure that's up there with being one of the worst records in one-run games all time. So far this year, it's been the total opposite, 5 and 0 in one-run games, and the reason for that is the Marlins finally have a three guys they can count on three or four guys they can count on between the seventh eighth and ninth inning whether it's andrew nardi huskar brozabon in the seventh inning dylan floro in the eighth inning and now a looking like the marlins want to trade there trading for aj puck for jj bladay aj puck has been locked down in the ninth inning sub two era uh, from the left side has been dominant with him kind of um really taking hold of that spot, even with some of the competition early on in spring training. But when you have a lockdown bullpen in the back half of the 
uh, game like the Marlins do this year as opposed to not having that last year. Those one-run games are going to fall in their favor, and it has so far this year. Not saying it's going to go like that all year, but a great start for the Marlins in one-run games. No, I mean, you got to love when when the good part of the segment is is a team one game above 500. Uh, congratulations that to AJ Fuck. That wasn't the point, though. That wasn't uh, the point. Congrats to AJ Fuck and the others. JJ Bladé will be missed dearly. No. <laughs> I miss I is miss. That, is that guy even have a roster spot right now? JJ, you mean JJ Blagad? Is that who you're talking about right now? Yeah. All right, Jay. Let's see if you know some ball. Let balls. Kim cook. Let Kim cook. No, no, it's sickening. Maybe they need a three dot three foot hot dog, and you'll get some more fans this time. Three foot every off season, add one foot to the hot dog, and uh, it what should add dog? what the Mar the Marlin two foot hot dog. What's what is it? What what's it's a sandwich? It's like a two foot long. What is it? The Cuban sandwich? Are you talking Cuban about? Cuban sandwich. So let's add a foot into the Cuban sandwich dog. every off season, and uh, maybe we'll get some more viewership on the Marlins games. Fox Sports One, right? Sun Sports, baby. No. Valley Sports, whatever it is. No Valley one's watching Sports. the Marlins anyway. NBA playoff trivia, Jet. It is time for you to go over five. I will be keeping a running tab of this. Um, not just play NBA playoff trivia, but whenever I do a trivia segment from here on. You will have a running score, and when you finally get to 50 questions answered, I will give you your percentage, but I'll give you updates after every single time we do this segment. But you're going to start 0 for 5, so, you know, you're going to have to start bearing down. So first question, Jet, I'm going to give you an easy one to start. Which NBA player has the most points in the finals in the NBA history? Finals only. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Okay, no, it's Jerry West. That was supposed to be the easy one, Jet. Jerry West leads the NBA all-time in finals points. Um, okay, maybe I'll have to tone this, tone this segment back a bit for you next time. Next question, Jet. This one's a gimme. What two franchises are relevant only because of LeBron James? <laughs> Which two franchises? The Lakers and Cavs. Uh, no, sir. I mean, that was a freebie. You could have very easily gotten that question correct. The correct answer is the Cleveland Cavaliers. They have one championship under LeBron James and one championship in franchise history. Uh, and then the Miami Heat, two championships under LeBron James and three in NBA history. They also won one back in 2006. Um, and then in 2007 had the worst ever attempt at a running it back in NBA history. Okay. Jet, you're over two so far. What is the NBA Finals trophy called? The Stanley O'Brien. Close, Jet. It's the Larry O'Brien NBA oh, championship Stanley. trophy. Oh, Fox. I want to see Stanley. All right. I'll give you half a point for that because I'm starting to feel bad. You're at .5 out of three so far, Jet. Um, I'll give you this one next. Who is the NBA Finals MVP award named after? The Finals MVP. Who Bill is Russell. Award? Bill Russell. There you go, Jet. You're on the board, my friend. And then lastly, this one's a doozy. From 1991 to 1993, the Chicago Bulls won three championships in a row. And from 1996 to 1998, they won three more in a row. But from 94, from 1994 to 1995, while Michael Jordan decided to dabble in the MLB, who won back-to-back -back NBA Finals? What team? 1994-1995. Um, was it the Pistons? It was the Houston Rockets, Jet. That's a fair guess. I'll give you that. That's a good guess. You're starting with 1.5. <laughs> I should have, too. I should have known that trophy. Oh, my. Is it Stanley? <laughs> well, you could have had three if you had just swallowed your pride and said, No, I, like that. Not, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> so let me go ahead and get your current total. And and I want you to notice this generosity in the half point I'm giving you here. I really do. I got um, I got like the the more important name of it right. O'Brien Trophy. You're you're shooting thirty percent right now. It looks like Jimmy Butler from the floor, uh, but it's okay, Jet. You did your best. And and again, first time running through this. You know you can't ex you can't expect it to go super smooth for you. But I like this. The trivia segment is definitely going to be here to stay. Jet, it's time for an NBA playoff update. If we were a super high-quality podcast, we would just play some super epic music right now to load us into it. 
So instead, we'll take a two-second moment of silence. NBA playoff update, Jet. A lot has gone on. A lot of teams are in the hole, down 2-0. A couple of teams have fought back. The Suns and the Clippers is the series I want to talk about first, just because I think it's been the most exciting so far. Um, I picked the Suns to win it all this year. And I'll be the first to admit, I do not like how they look at all. They split on, they split at home to open up the series, but they they are they're definitely missing some depth. They are missing a sixth piece because the starters have been great. Devin Booker's played played incredibly so far. Kevin Durant's been himself, and CP3 has been, I mean, nothing spectacular, but he hasn't hurt the team in any sense. Um, but but the thing is, is is they shot 60% from the floor last night. The Phoenix Suns starters did. That is not replicable at all. So, and to, to only win by whatever they won by like seven, seven points at home when your starters are shooting 60% and that's to tie this, that's to tie the series up. I'm not liking the way that looks. I think they're definitely missing a piece. Um, they, they need, they need something off the bench. They need someone off the bench to step up. Torrey Craig has been decent, but he's been starting for the team. Uh, put up 20 points last night, I believe. But, Jet, what are your initial takeaways from this Suns-Clippers series? Yeah, I think, you know, I'll talk more about the Clippers, but obviously no no Paul George yet. And with how the Clippers have been playing without him, I think if they're able to get him back at some point in this series, I think the Clippers could potentially come out on top in this series. If, like you were saying, you know, someone someone steps up, in that bench for the Phoenix Suns, maybe it'll be a different story, but Kawhi Leonard for the Clippers has been outstanding. I was looking at a, a another stat, I think er, earlier today, I believe he's at like 12 straight playoff games with 20 or more points uh, kind of speaks to guys elevating their play in the postseason. As much as we talk about guys taking it easy in the regular season, practicing load management, so on and so forth. Kawhi Leonard's always, always showing up for the big moments and he has showed up so far Early on in the series, Russell Westbrook as well, uh, 28 points in in game two. I know, know it was a loss, but he looked pretty good as well. Um, the thing is, like, so many people pick the Suns to go far. I, I have them going to the Western Conference Finals, but the biggest issue with picking the Suns or the Clippers to go really far is it's a risk just because they both have the toughest first-round matchup against one another and you're, you're taking a lot of weight in obviously picking one of these two teams because whoever I think comes out of this series has a very good shot at going all the way. But for the one that doesn't, it's just a – It's just a it's an early out. Yeah, it's, 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 an it's early tough. Out. It's tough that they were given that bad of a draw. But so far this series, it's it's been pretty entertaining. I just don't think the Phoenix Suns have gotten into that that second gear just yet. Yeah, and I think each of these teams is missing one piece, and they both have that piece. They're just hurt right now. So when Paul George comes back for the Clippers, if they are still alive at that point, again, that much better of a team because their bench is, I mean, Norman Powell and Terrence Mann alone, those are starters on other teams. Mason Plumlee was a great pickup at the trade deadline. He'd played decent for Charlotte for a few years. Bones Highland obviously is is, is pretty pretty decent of a bench player as well. And then you look at the Phoenix Suns. They're missing a piece on that bench, but they have that piece. It's Cameron Payne. He's shooting 37% from three in the season. He is the backup point for this Phoenix team. And and whenever Chris Paul comes out in non-Chris Paul minutes, they have been bad while Cameron Payne has been hurt. Um, He's he's an 11.4 assist guy in in like 15, 20 minutes. So this is definitely a, a piece that they're missing because in Phoenix right now, it's kind of just hold your breath when the starters are taking a breather and that's no way to make it a deep playoff run. So interesting series. This has been a great series so far. And I think we'll end up being a really good one. And how about the Scott Foster versus Chris Paul round yeah. 15 round 15 yeah. goes to Chris Paul. Yeah. And big, big shout out. He'll had to overcome a lot of adversity in this one. History wasn't on his side there, no. <laughs> but he was able to overcome. Yeah, First eventually Paul, one, of the, I, one of these days he was gonna pull out of pull out a win, and he got the job. Yeah, let me see. Uh, Chris Paul, three personal fouls. Yeah, I mean he just he overcame. He just he absolutely stuck it to Scott Foster in this one, and, and it's great to see, man. 
great to see. Congratulations to CP Zero Rings. Um, get this guy back to the finals. Get this guy back to the finals. He's addicted to it. We know that. Give him a shot. He'll be there. 37, 38, 39. Don't matter how old he is. He's getting that ring. He's addicted. Jet, Knicks and Cavs, I think, has been the second best series yeah. thus far. So let's go ahead and talk about that one. And Jalen Brunson absolutely stole dollars on prize fix the other night. Uh, he got a Taco Tuesday. His projection dropped from, I think it was 26 and a half points to 20 and a half points. Everyone and their mother's on the over when, when, it's, when a Taco Tuesday comes out. He drops 20 points. He misses it by half a point. That's that's how I ought to start off this series because that irked me. I lost some money from that. Uh, Jalen Brunson, figure it out, my friend. But, yeah, other than that, Darius Garland, he went absolutely insane last night. He was he was just dropping threes from anywhere on the floor. Uh, ended up going 6 for 10 from 3, 8 for 17 from the field, and hitting 10 out of 11 free throws. And he was, he was the difference. He was the story. Ended up with 32 points, three rebounds, seven assists. Donovan Mitchell had an incredible game as well. He wasn't the star in this one, but he was the facilitator to an absolute T. 17 points, two rebounds to go along with 13 assists. Evan Mobley, 13 points and 13 boards. Jared Allen, nine points, 10 boards. It's just it's just a well-rounded team, man. And when Karis Levert's coming off the bench, dropping 24, four and three, it's tough. It's tough to beat a team like this especially when you're the New York Knicks and you got a lot of young guys and a lot of, you know, unpredictable guys. Julius Randle, I think is, that's a great word to describe him as unpredictable. And then RJ Barrett is just super young going four for 13 from the field. Julius Randle ended up with 22 Jalen Brunson, as I mentioned before, 20 RJ Barrett, 14 points, Emmanuel quickly 12 and that's it. So a 22 point game, a 20 point game, a 14 point game, a 12 point game. And that's really all there is to speak of from this Knicks roster in game two. Um, and, and that really just speaks to Cleveland did not want to go down 0-2 at home and then head back to the Garden. No. But, uh, Jet, what are your initial takeaways from the series? Yeah, I mean, the Knicks needed to take one on the road, and, and they did accomplish that in game one, which is huge for them. I think, you know, more of what they're going to have to get back to is obviously what they how they played their game in, in game one. Uh, obviously, they're going to need R.J. Barrett to to step up. I think with Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson, it can continue to be productive for the most part. But beyond that, they're going to need a third guy to step up. As the cat, the Cavs have Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, Evan Mobley, and then coming off the bench, I know Karis LeVert didn't have a great game one, but you know you could count on him every now and then. That's just, I mean, that's probably a starter. On, on, most on most teams, teams. On, on most teams in the NBA and to get that coming off the bench um, is, is definitely huge. You know, I, I had this series going seven. Tommy had this series going seven. It's, it's going to be interesting because if this series does go seven, it will be in Cleveland, um, which makes it obviously more tough for the Knicks to win. But, you know, I, I think we could see a lot of this back and forth where the Knicks don't look as good one game, but then they look really good the next and I think it's just going to be the type of thing that the series is going to continue to alternate. And what's going to be the difference? I think the Knicks need to be able to, first of all, neutralize someone like Karis LeVert coming off the bench, but also have someone else step up beyond Brunson and Randall. Yeah, and for me, even after a 17-point, I'm not going to call it a blowout, but the game was never really close. I mean, they were down double figures the whole night. I still consider the Knicks to be in the driver's seat in this series because they only needed to win one game on the road. Yeah. And they still accomplished that. So until Cleveland wins a game in New York, which obviously could happen on this back to back, or it would have to happen in game six. But uh, until they do that, I cannot, I can't take the Knicks out of the driver's seat just obviously because if they, if every team wins the games they're supposed to win from here on out, it doesn't matter. Cleveland's gone. So. For right now, Knicks are Knicks are still my favorite, even though I picked the Cavs to win the whole thing, but just based on how the series gone so far. Next one, let's not not get too much into this because I, I, I'm about ready to grab the brooms. Boston Celtics, Atlanta Hawks. Atlanta, is they're just outmatched. We knew this was going to happen. Boston was the best team for the greater part of the regular season in the NBA, and you know they're continuing to dominate. Derek White had a good night last night. Marcus Smart is playing well. Jason Tatum, obviously, we know we're getting. Jalen Brown, who, you know, 
just was one of the nominations for clutch player of the year himself. Yeah. So this, this is, this is a team that's, it's impossible to beat, especially when you're an Atlanta Hawks team that is playing small ball the whole time. You got to deal with Al Horford and uh, Robert Williams. If, if he ever decides to stay healthy and play enough minutes, but yeah, this Hawks team, I, I'm ready to call it a sweep. Are you? Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, you know, for, for both of us, we didn't really think that the Hawks should have even been in this scenario. Obviously, they had the big win over over the Heat, which got them into this position. But, you know, they, they were a fringe playoff team to start probably. I mean, I don't know if you can make a better case for someone else. I think the Bulls showed flashes and probably would have been a better option. But, you know, even them, I think they probably would have had the same story with the Celtics yeah. with how good of a team they are. Obviously, for them, with Giannis's injury, they could be in the driver's seat to, you know, advance to the NBA Finals if, you know, things stand as they currently do. Um, but I wanted to ask you, because an interesting poll came out uh, posted by The Athletic, which surveys NBA players, and they asked NBA players, who is the most overrated player? 31% of the vote was other, but the first, uh, per, the first place player was Trey Young with 14.8% of the vote. Do you agree with that? And if not, who do you think is the most overrated player in the NBA? I mean, it's hard to say most overrated player just because it's like, I mean, this definitely is a player's vote because I'm not on. I, I don't see. Well, I'll read you. On, I'll read but... you the list of some of the other names on this list: Julius Randle, Pascal Siakam, Jimmy Butler, Rudy Gobert, Jaron Jackson Jr., R.J. Barrett, Dylan Brooks, and Draymond Green. Okay, so to me, it sounds like a lot of guys that are just hated. It sounds like a lot of guys that other players hate. Yeah. You know, Jaron Jackson Jr. I would say is underrated. He is yeah. an incredible player. Jimmy Butler, I don't know about overrated, maybe aging a bit, but I wouldn't call Jimmy I think, Butler overrated. But I think overrated. it goes back to the hatred point. Like, no, it definitely does. Like, yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. Draymond Green, I mean, like, look at the players that are on this list. Trey Young, look at how many times this guy has been talking shit to other teams' fans, you know? I don't get Pascal Siakam, to be honest. Pascal Siakam is very hated. A lot of people don't like Siakam, especially – I mean, think about every, every – I know, but I know, but again, but I'm not sure, but, like, I guess, I guess that, but he's still not overrated. I think he's more. Right, again, that's what I mean. Yeah, I don't think Siakam's overrated at all. But at, yeah. I mean, every 76er player that had a chance to vote said he's overrated because the shitty because <laughs> the shitty did to MB last season in the playoffs. It's just true. This is definitely who's the most hated player in the NBA. That's true. Vote. No, you're you're not wrong. You're not wrong because Draymond's not overrated either. I mean, the Warriors <laughs> don't have four rings without him. <laughs> Actually, one other interesting name on this list: Austin Reeves of the Los Angeles Lakers. <laughs> I mean, I guess I guess that works. I guess I don't know. I don't. I wouldn't call him hated or overrated. Really, I, I don't even. He's barely even rated yet. Jealousy, jealousy. I don't know. I guess it's just the Lakers media. <laughs> oh, the rating has a lot to do with just the city you play playing in the NBA. So true. It's a tough question to answer. Okay. Um. Next series, Jet. Would you want to get to next? Uh, Warriors Kings. That's a yeah, good one. Warriors Kings too. Warriors Kings is a good one. Kings lead the series two zero. Uh, Draymond, no Draymond Green for Game Three. That's obviously the big story in the NBA. Let's talk about this it. afternoon. Let's talk about it, Jet. You want to start us off? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, when I when I've watched the well, I watched the game obviously, but when I watched the sure. clip, when I watched the clip, you know, over and over again, I think you know there was intent on both sides. I think Demontis Sabonis, sure, you can make an argument that, that was just his reflexes and his arms just happened to be in that position, but it looked like he was kind of grabbing onto his leg. However, there was – and I get I get Draymond, Draymond Green's reaction shouldn't have been good, but it shouldn't have been what it was, stomping on someone's chest like that. And I think part of the reason why I think a lot of people would maybe side that Draymond Green is in the wrong just because he has a history of these types of issues – where he's acted like it's the WWE or some sort of wrestling or boxing match, and he kind of just, you know, went all out. Um, for DeMontis Sabonis, hasn't really had many of these types of issues. So I think, and the NBA came out today saying that Draymond Green is suspended, obviously because of the incident, but he's also a repeat offender, which pretty much makes sense because he has been a part of these types of incidents. Um, however... I think if you're going to take away a big piece like you did from the Warriors, you might as well suspend the other guy, too, at that point. 
why not can I know it's not necessarily canceling it out, but both guys were a part of the same issue. I get one has more of a track record than the other, but at that point, I think you should just suspend them both. Yeah, it's an. I mean, it's an interesting take for sure. I just, I like I've been. I watched both games of the series so far, and Sabonis and Draymond, first of all, have both been playing Draymond Green's brand of basketball every single minute that they've been on the court. That wasn't the first scuffle that the two of them got into. And when I say scuffle, I don't mean you know pushing and shoving, but like, you know, there's elbows down there when they're when they're going for for boards, and there's elbows. Pretty much whenever the two of them are stacked up against each other, about about four minutes of game time before that happened, Draymond Green, like, quote, fell backwards into DeMontis Sabonis as he was trying to run in from out of bounds, and then Sabonis did his best flop impression. He They both ended up on the floor. They gave Draymond a tech for that, which eventually got called back. They, they called it incidental. But, yeah, I mean, they were all over each other the whole time. And the thing to me is, like, yeah, Draymond shouldn't have done that. But Draymond Green is six foot six, two twenty-five. DeMontis Sabonis is seven foot one, two forty-five. Okay, so he's got he's got seven inches and twenty pounds on Draymond Green. I don't know how much force Draymond really could have gotten behind that step yeah, to have made such an impact on DeMontis Sabonis. I mean, really. DeMontis did grab him. Draymond stepped on him. Did Draymond deserve to be thrown out? Yeah. But should DeMontis have been thrown out too? Yeah. For me, Draymond's ejection is not an issue with that play, but DeMontis should have been ejected too. The oh, thing yeah. that Dray- the reason that Draymond got suspended an additional game is because he's he's cursing to the cameras on, on national television, saying things like, you know, like, you don't fucking do that shit to me, like looking at the camera saying it to him, because the camera's obviously in his face in these moments. And he's standing on the on the war on the Warriors bench, just riling up Kings fans. And did it really work? I mean, now you're down 2-0, heading back home. You're gonna be out, and you're in a must-win game. Like uh, to me, Draymond Green kind of screwed his team here. I think this. I mean, I picked the Warriors to win in seven. Is it off the table? Absolutely not. But who's gonna guard Demonte Sabonis now? Yeah. I don't. I don't think Kevon Looney can do it. He'll be in foul trouble. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a tough, tough uphill battle for Golden State to climb here. My, my, if I was able to change my prediction, it would change to Kings and Six because De'Aaron Fox has been playing out of his mind and the Warriors just have not. You know, you know Steph Curry is going to come back. Him or Clay are going to come back and have one of their token, like, 40-point. They missed three threes all night, and they dropped eight of them. Yeah. But, like, it's, I don't think it's going to be enough without – unless it's tonight. If they go down 3-0, obviously the series is over. If they win tonight, I mean, they need Steph – or not tonight, tomorrow. They need Steph to, I mean, seriously put up 45 points to have a chance in this series. Well, that's the thing. They will be at home, which is definitely right. – they, they, they need to obviously win these next two to get the series back at even and then kind of just start from scratch. Obviously, we'll, we'll go back to Sacramento, but, you know – it is definitely surprising to see how the Kings have been playing. Obviously, their first playoff action in, in quite some time. But I think even with the lack of experience up and down that roster, clearly the energy the fans are bringing to this team is helping a lot. And clearly, these players also look hungrier right now than the the Warriors right now. Warriors right. kind of just look sluggish and kind of really not their time anymore. Obviously, they they were the def- they are the defending champs, but yeah, I would also change my pick as well to to the Kings. I did pick the Warriors. I did pick the Warriors in six. I, I I don't see that happening. If the Warriors win, it'll be in seven. But I don't think that'll. Yeah, happen. yeah, and and something to remember. I mean, dynasties do not end smoothly. Almost never. So, you know, for the Warriors to get bounced in the first round here, is that the end of their dynasty? Probably, but that's a story for next year. Um, but yeah, a lot of interesting headlines so far. It's been a very entertaining NBA playoffs to this point. I'm very, very happy with how it's gone. Let's get to the last series that has gone two games so far, and that is Brooklyn and Philly. Another one, you know, I got to see how game three goes in Brooklyn, but I'm close to being able to say, let's pull out the brooms. Are you in the same boat on that? Because it's you, no. 
I'll say the I'll say the Nets win one game, but the, the 76ers are clearly the better team. Um, they were never gonna have any issues in this series unless someone else besides, you know, McCall Bridges stepped up and performed like a a nice complimentary piece to him, but that that has really not been the case. And uh James Harden and Tyrese Maxey have just been too much for the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, and, and the biggest thing the biggest thing for Brooklyn, and James Harden had a terrible game too, by the way. The biggest thing for Brooklyn is Nick Claxton has just been completely neutralized by Joel Embiid. I um, mean, you know, this is a guy that's, you know, 12 and a half points, two assists, 10 boards. And we're looking at through two games of this series, total five points, 16 rebounds, three assists. So in this series, he's averaging two and a half, eight and one and a half. I mean, that is, it's completely, it's almost useless. And, and Nick Claxton's a good player. I tweeted, you know, during the regular season a couple weeks back, like, damn, like Brooklyn's kind of nice. Nick Claxton's a good player. Um, but he, he just has not – he's been a non-factor. Dorian Finney-Smith had a terrible game too. And like I said, not a whole lot to talk about other than that. James Harden, great game one, horrendous game two. Joel Embiid, not been able to put up no. – you know, because people actually play defense in the playoffs, so he's not been able to put up his 35. But Joel Embiid, you know he impacts the game in, in different ways. Instead of 35 and 10, he's been dropping 20 and 20. So Joel Embiid has, has been himself. Anything else you want to add in this series? No, it'll it'll be over soon, and then uh, on to the Celtics probably. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's go ahead and get into what Jets been dying to get to: the Miami Heat are up one game, two zero on the Milwaukee Bucks thus far. Jet, I'm gonna let you take the driver's seat on this. One. Yeah, and you know, by the time this episode is out, it'll be two and a, two to zero. Uh, Heat leading the series. I know Giannis at the time of this recording has been upgraded to questionable, so we may see him out on the court. And and if that's, I, I think that it's gonna end up being that way. Um, I I think for the Bucks, this is a must-win game. Having the road team take the first two games of a best-of-seven series with now the series going back to. Miami is going to be a tough hole for the Bucs to climb out of. And I know they still have an extremely talented team capable of coming out of a two, two to nothing deficit, but we know what the heat are like in the playoffs. And it's going to be extremely difficult now without Tyler hero and what he brings to the table um, as a shot maker, as a shot creator, and, and just as one of the heat's primary ball handlers. But we know what Jimmy Butler does in the playoffs. He he showed she showed up again in a playoff type atmosphere. Obviously, was instrumental in getting the Heat to the playoffs, but put thirty five points up on the board against the Bucks in Game One. Bam Adebayo had a really nice game in Game One with twenty two points, nine rebounds. Um, Kevin Love coming off the bench, kind of showing that that you know free agent pickup in the middle of the season paying off a little bit was. Really, really good 18 points, four of seven beyond the arc. My only concern with the Heat, uh, kind of talked about, talked about them, talked about this issue with the Suns in terms of uh, field goal percentage being sustainable. Uh, but this is more overall with the team. The team shot 60% from the field. That is not going to be sustained all all series long. They put up 130 total points. That's not going to be sustained against a great defense. Yeah, that's the thing. Like this, the the box are going to get into their groove defensively. Um, it's just going to be. It's going to have to have the Heat adjust to the new defensive approach that the Bucks will potentially throw at them. Obviously, it was tough for the Bucks to get used to without Giannis for the majority of this game. But I think if Giannis misses. Any more time? I think if Giannis misses game two, and and obviously at the time of this recording, we don't know if he will or not, but if he misses game two, I think this series isn't over. But if he misses also game three and the Heat are up 2-0 at that point and Giannis isn't playing in game three, I think the series is over at that point. The Heat, I think, would come out on top. However, if Giannis comes back game two and just plays 75% of what he is, I do think, unfortunately, the Bucs are going to win this series, but obviously you know who I want to win. I mean, it's tough, like, to have any team go down 2-0 at home in a playoff series. It's, it's it's very hard to have to win four out of the next five when three of those games are going to be on the road. 
But, I mean, obviously stranger things has happened. If if you are the head coach of the Bucks, are you putting Giannis in, even if he's not 100%? Because I, I, I think the Bucks can still win this series, and I think they have a better chance of it being down 2-0 with a healthy Giannis rather than maybe being down, maybe tying the series up 1-1, but Giannis re-aggravates that he misses two more games. I disagree. And then I know this is a tough decision because you're dealing with your franchise player, one of the best players in the league, but the Bucs have one goal in mind and, and that's to win a title. I mean, they can't just throw away everything they've worked for all this season, best record in the NBA, probably the deepest team they've ever had. I think they know as well as anyone, this is not, if this was the Hawks, this was the Bulls, if this was the Raptors, and I'm not just saying this because it's the Heat, but the Heat are capable when the time is right and everything's going as it should, as it did in game one, they are not an eight seed. And I'm not saying they're a top three seed either, but they are not an eight seed. And I think for the box, I think they roll the dice and risk Giannis playing in game two, because I think they know as well as anyone, if they're down two to nothing going on the road, their chances are very, very slim. Yeah. Eric Spolster definitely just breeds tryhards. I'm not too sure why. Uh, last couple of series, Timberwolves, Nuggets. Let's do this one super quick. Doesn't look like it's going to be much of a series, Jed, does it? No, it doesn't. Um, we also both didn't have the Timberwolves making it into this playoff bracket, but um, that's kind of my point. With I hate to bring up the Heat again, but the the, heat, the Timberwolves are a typical eight seed. Not that the, it's going to be a walk in the park for the Nuggets, but they are the better team, clearly. Everyone's healthy. And really not much to speak about. Yeah, just one thing I did want to mention. Great job on your part to call out, you know, a big X factor would be Jamal Murray. Not necessarily, you know, being up one game to nothing against the Timberwolves is a, a huge deal. But Jamal Murray is still dropping 24, 8, and 8 in game one. So good job on your part to call that yeah, out. Really, really quick. Have us look for that. Real, and we'll get to this series in a little bit. But as it stands right now, if, if Jamal Murray continues to play – how he did in game one. And I know I kind of touched on this about changing my pick early on in the episode, but I know my bracket is, is as it stands and that's fine. But currently with the state of the NBA and currently with the state of the Grizzlies, I would take the Nuggets now to, to advance to the finals. Wow. Well, that goes that. I mean, the reason that that is, is because let's get to this last series. Terrible <laughs> pick on your part. To have no, the it's no, you can't even, you can't even blame it. If John Morant's not hurt, it's a totally different series. That's just, but that's not true though. That's it the is, thing. It is true. No, because but, but the, the Memphis Grizzlies have almost been better off without Ja, like historically. I know, I know, but still like, like historically, not like that's three such a games. small sample size. Not that small. It's John small, Morant's been in the league like, for what, four years? I don't think it's big enough to kind of warrant any meaning out of it. I think it warrants meaning when we look at Jaron Jackson Jr., Desmond Bain doing their thing. You know, I mean, it's not like this team – this team is no slouch without John Morant, you know? I get that. But you also have to look at it on the Lakers side of things. Rui Hachimura, and I know he had a ton of prospect pedigree coming into the league when he was drafted by the Washington Wizards. Putting up 29 points – I don't think that's going to happen again. And and not saying that, you know, if he doesn't, that the Lakers still can't win. But if the Grizzlies can neutralize him, like LeBron did not have a great game. I know Anthony Davis was in and out of the game. Obviously, Austin Reeves was was fantastic in this one. But with no John Moran, it definitely hurts. I don't think the Grizzlies are going to win if John Moran doesn't return to the series already after game two. But if John Morant does return at some point and the Grizzlies are have played somewhat well with him, obviously they have to win game two. That that's there's no question there's no question about it. But if they if they don't, then uh screw my bracket. <laughs> yeah, I mean I just look at this Lakers team and, and they just have an extremely deep, you know, top seven minute players. You know, Anthony Davis, like I mentioned, there's just there's just Memphis just doesn't have what it takes takes to stop Anthony Davis and, and I was I'm gonna stick by that 10 of 17 from the floor 22 points 12 rebounds I mean that, that's not his best game but they def, definitely didn't stop him and well, they, they were know, never gonna completely stop right, him but, but right but here's but here's the point I'm trying to make Roy Hachimura and Austin Reeves maybe yeah they don't have games like this but they do when it takes Jaron Jackson Jr. and a wing defender 
to neutralize, and it doesn't even neutralize Anthony Davis. I mean, Hachimura, yeah, he was on fire, but every look was open. I mean, it's not like he's shooting balls over guys' heads. It's not like he's in the corner just taking heat checks. I mean, this guy is open. They were like, okay, will we rather have Hachimura get cold or will we rather have Anthony Davis cook the fuck out of Jaron Jackson Jr. and, and, and drop 40 from the paint? Yeah. And no, that's, 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 that's kind of what I mean by, like, they just – they don't have the personnel without Steven Adams to, to keep Anthony Davis in check. And when that's the thing, you got to double team all the time. That's why we see Roy Hachimura, Austin Reeves, Tyrese Maxey. That's why we see these guys hitting absolute wide-open threes 24-7, just like they – with Embiid, what the Brooklyn Nets have had to do so far. Yeah, that's a fair point, but even, even with – Rui Hachimura getting more open looks, which I, I think he won't get as many in this game. He's still shot no. over 70% from the field, 83% from beyond the arc with those open looks. That that and Those numbers are going to go down. And then outside of, you know, the, the Lakers bench didn't do much. I know they relied, they relied heavily on, on their starting group, but I think they will. They will need Rui Hachimura to continue this play to some degree if they want to really put their foot down in this series and kind of run away with things. Um but the the Lakers were the better team, even without you know Anthony Davis in the line for for point within this game. Obviously, getting back John Morant is important for the Grizzlies, but they're gonna need someone else to step up in John Morant's absence. I I think you kind of have to look at on their bench. Luke Kennard has had some big games this year. I think if they can get some good minutes out of him, I think that could be a good thing for the Grizzlies. But Jaron Jackson continues playing how he did in Game One. Yeah. I don't necessarily think the Grizzlies are saved, but they're they're in a better spot than if he wasn't playing at this level. Jaron Jackson Jr. could very easily be a top option on a team, you know, somewhere in a different kind of like a McCall Bridges. I think I think in a different universe, there is a there is a place where Jaron Jackson Jr. is a lead option, and and I think he could hold that. I think he could hold his own in that in that role. Jed, anything else you want to talk about? You want to talk about some future games yet, or or is just the games that have happened so far good? No, I'm I'm good. I feel I feel satisfied. I'm glad. As long as you're satisfied, that's all that matters. Jet, at the time of this release, it will be Thursday morning around 9 a.m. We are recording this Wednesday night at around 7 p.m. But Jet, what we do here is we just absolutely pleasure our fans. What we do. Every fan, every listener, it's an absolute pleasurable experience. So what I've cooked up is I cooked up a three-leg prize picks parlay. Jet, you cooked up a two-leg, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. We cooked up a couple of parlays for you guys on prize picks, and these will be for Thursday night's games. So this these these plays will be out, you know, before the games happen in these plays. And Jet, why don't you get us started? What are you cooking up for us? Yeah, so obviously I have a two-legger uh, focusing um, focusing on the 76ers here. Uh, okay. James Harden, Joel Embiid. First start off with, with James Harden here. Turnovers. I think the Nets. I think the Nets are going to take this game. Um, James Harden obviously didn't have a great game too, but you look at James Harden turning the ball over the past two games. He has hit the over on this number four in game one, five in game two. The number is set at three and a half turnovers for James Harden. I think, you know, on the Brooklyn Nets home court, they kind of rattle him a little bit. Um, obviously, being that he does have a little bit of history playing in Brooklyn. Don't think that number goes totally over. I think it's around what it's been at the past couple of games, four or five. But I think you can easily take the over there. And then let's go to free throws made uh, for Joel Embiid. We're looking at a line set at nine and a half. Uh, he has hit that number in one of the first two games in this series, had 11 in game one, had eight in game two. Um, I think the refs are going to do all they can to kind of get the 76ers to win this game, but I don't think it'll, I don't think um, it'll be enough. I think the Nets still come out on top, but I think Joel Embiid hits the over here. I think we see him at, at the line a lot, and I think we see him take advantage of that. Um, you know, the NBA wants to see this series wrapped up as soon as possible, but I don't think the Nets let that happen beyond a be behind a great performance from McCall Bridges. Nick Claxton has a bounce back game. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie shows up as well. So I'll take up, I'll take the over on the free throws made for Joel Embiid. Interesting, uh, conglomeration of words, you know, we all just listened to their jet. 
I don't know if there's a lot of merit behind some of the things you just said. You know, Joel Embiid's going to get to the line a lot. The league wants to see the Sixers win. Yeah. But the all-powerful Brooklyn Nets will stop it. Interesting. For me, I, I went the same direction. I'm looking solely at the Brooklyn and Philadelphia game. First pick is Joel Embiid. I'm going more than one and a half block shots. Wow. He's got five so far in the series. I and as I mentioned – yeah, and, and and so so here's the thing. I mean, these all tie in together. As I as I mentioned before, Nick Claxton has not been getting the ball up in you know very favorable shots. Joel Embiid, he's blocking he's blocking two uh, on Thursday evening. Who, who? Tyre- whose shots are whose shots is he gonna block? Can you can you give me the names? I'm looking at a I'm looking at a Seth Curry block. He's gonna mm-hmm. you know Seth's gonna pull up maybe a pull up jumper, and Embiid's gonna be there just accidentally. And then maybe we'll see like a McCall Bridges, you know, he's going to go up with the left hand, not going to realize Embiid's behind him. He's going to smack that shit off the glass. That's what I'm calling. Okay. Uh, and like I mentioned, these all tie in together, all three of these picks. If one hits, they're all going to hit. I, I truly believe this is all three or none of them. Second one is Tyrese Maxey, more than 25 and a half points, rebounds, assists. Like I mentioned, you know, Tyrese is getting these open looks just because if you, I don't know if you've watched any of the Sixers Brooklyn games no, at all. I would never. It, no, I, I get it. As long as it doesn't say Miami on it, you ain't watching. But these, I mean, it is. It's like Embiid can be at the top of the key behind the three point line, and it's instant double teams, and it's just it's leaving a ton of looks for Tyrese Maxey uh, and guys like you know Shake Milton when he gets minutes. Tobias Harris has had a great couple of first games, and that is part of the reason. And then lastly, I'm going Nick Claxton. I mentioned before he's got 21 points, rebounds, and assists combined over the first two games, and his line currently for game three is set at 18 and a half. I'm taking the under on that. Um, a lot of this is just looking for trends to continue in this Same. series, and, and I don't I don't know if the trend will will come to a halt at all. So there's what I've got on Prize Picks, Jet. Can you uh, uh, tell me uh, who each of the shots that Tyrese Maxey will be over? Uh, he's gonna be wide open. He's gonna be wide open, so it's not okay. gonna matter. Okay. He's gonna he's gonna get some boards. He's gonna get some assists. He's gonna facilitate a bit. I'm, I'm gonna call maybe I'm gonna call four boards and okay. three assists. So he's only gonna need at I'm that sorry. rate. This guy's only gonna need 18 points. I think that's a drop in the bucket. T max. Well, it'll be tough. The Nets will the Nets will come to play at game three, but we'll see. That's fine. That's fine, Jed. I mean, we could all sit here and, and talk about lucky wins all we want. You know, good good for Udonis Haslam. Luck is created. Udonis Haslam in, in his age uh, getting shit done for Miami. Jet, word of the day, it's time. Just just, just run it through for us. Merriam-Webster, it's all you. Yeah, you know, it wasn't in the show notes to kind of whip it up, but I, I'll do what I always do and just... Nah, do you'll whip her up. Nah, you'll whip her up, man. Uh, word of the day... April 19th, 2023. Undergrid. Undergrid is a verb. Um, undergrid means to strengthen or to support something from below or to form the basis or foundation of, uh, to use it in a sentence, their way of life is undergirded. I said undergrid. Undergird. It's undergird. Undergird. <laughs> Not undergrid. Undergird means to strengthen or support from below their way of life is undergirded by religious faith um some additional contact context about this word um the the quote from a hollywood reporter genuine connection has always been scarce but during the height of the pandemic in 2020 it became even more so uh jake johnson wrote the screenplay for self-reliance during the scary unpredictable and lonely period the lessons from isolation undergird the film's emotional core. I think we're going to see, and you know, I don't think I'm using this right, but I think we'll see uh, Max Struess. I know this, this episode is though the game has already been played, but I think he will be undergirding this Miami heat team in the absence of Tyler here. I think he steps up big time and supports this team like, like in a way that he hasn't all year. And I know he has blow up games every now and then, but the level of undergirding he will put forth on this Miami Heat team. And I know I'm just blowing the, the use of that word, but that is fine. Uh, Max Struess, 
and undergird are going to be synonymous in game number two. Nah, that's a hard disagree. I don't know if we see Max Struess doing a whole lot here. Um, Drew Holiday's perimeter defense is going to put Max Struess in a coma. So I think we're looking Drew at Holiday's a Max. Not even going to be on Max Struess. I, I think we're looking at a Max Struess. Uh, if I had to guess, I'm going to say like 19. No, he's starting right now. Terrible team. He's starting. Wow. Uh, I think we're going to see like 31 minutes, 0 for 9 from the floor. He'll get a couple token free throws because the refs, refs love the heat. So we're, I think we're looking at tell two me, points. Tell me what you mean by that. Tell me. Two points, two points, one board, and three assists, four personal fouls, and we'll give him like five turnovers. Let me just let that's me just the stop the narrative here at. about the let me just stop the narrative here that the refs love the heat. Uh, total, so that's, free, total free throws attempted from both teams in game one, Heat 21, Bucks 22. Uh, total fouls for each team. The Heat had 24, the Bucks had 22, pretty even there. Refs were on the same page all night long. Um, Jimmy Butler just does what he does. He he induces contact and he gets a line, drills his free throws. Uh, Giannis does the same thing, but he doesn't know how to drill his free throws. I think Giannis can learn it too out of Jimmy Butler's book. Unfortunately, um, he may not be able to practice what he learns from Jimmy Butler if he doesn't get healthy anytime soon. No, yeah, and 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 here's the thing, you know, most players get a flagrant or a, a tech when they go up and, and hit a guy in the ear. When the heat hit Giannis out of the ear, he breaks his tailbone. Uh, it's a personal foul. It's not a big deal. Let's, uh, let's send him to the line, have him shoot with a broken tailbone, and uh, we'll call it a day. Chet, if you don't, if you want me to tell me that there is no such thing as situational fouls, you're out of your mind. Um, yeah, the numbers may be even, but the refs are literally paid to make it look even. Again, look. That's the key word. Uh, that's that's exactly what a referee's job title is. Make the game look not scripted. And, and they're doing a good job of that because they have people like you wrapped around the finger, wrapped around the thumb. You're undergirding this process. <laughs> you're absolutely right behind it. You're not at the front line. You're undergirding this shit. Um, you know, listen, guys, go out and use undergird. Impress your roommates. Impress your parents. Use that shit in a sense. And now that I've inspired you, and now that Jet's informed you, and now that we've entertained you this past hour, I think it's time we get out of here. I'm Tommy. That's Jet. Thank you all so much for listening to this installment of the 25-8 Sportscast. And have a great day.